0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We're on our last week of the last raw, and so this is the end, so we'll hit it as quickly as we can. If you need a Bible, get your hand up real quick, and then go with me to the book of uh, Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to tie some last-minute knots here, just some things we've discussed previously. We'll hit it again especially here in Matthew 24. And then at the end, uh, I've listened to different questions that have come before me in the last 13 weeks or so, and so we'll answer some of those questions biblically. But remember this about the Word of God. The Bible is not a book of suggestions, not a book of recommendations, not a book of uh, multiple choice. The, The Word of God was designed for us to pattern our lives by it, And so in order for that to happen, we must learn to obey the word of God. We must learn to live with the word of God. And we have to come to a place in our life where the word of God is my final decision, where I look and say, this is what the Bible said. I don't care what man says. This is what the Bible said. Now, we begin here, Matthew 24, verse 3. This is the Lord Jesus talking here. Now, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What's it going to look like at the end of every bit of this? And we know here that the Lord is very clear that no man knows the exact date or the exact time. Actually, in this same chapter, uh, Matthew 24, verse 36, verse 42, verse 44, the Lord Jesus hits on that. No man knows it. Not one man on this earth. So if you ever have a man who comes and says, you know, Jesus is coming back on da 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 you can be bet that he may not be necessarily a liar, but it isn't the truth, okay? And then he says that even the angels in heaven, they don't know. And so I believe he's telling us, don't get caught up with dates. Don't get caught up with the hour. Just, just live for the things of God. Be ready be consistent and be prepared. He goes on to say, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one misleads you. Now, that verse is cross-referenced, and I've got it marked. I'm just going to read it to you. This is uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and it says this, Beware lest anyone cheat you or plunder you or take you captive through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles or teaching of the world, and not according to Christ. Now this is a strong warning from the Lord Jesus that this is what's going to begin to take place. That's why we must live by the Word of God. Now, I'm going to highlight this a little more because he gets over it again a little bit later in this passage, verse five. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and I will, or they will deceive many. And so his first warning right here was there are going to be people that are going to try to lead every one of us astray. And again, I, I highlight this. Don't live by signs and wonders. I think a lot of times that's what we do. And when we do, we become susceptible to being deceived. I mean, I've had people say to me, "Man, did you hear about this or that was going on in this part of the nation or that part of the nation?" A lot of times, people say, "Man, we got to go there. We got to catch a flight. We got to drive there to be a part of that." Well, my thinking on that is, God's a universal God. God's a big God. Again, people will say stuff like this: "I got to go to the mountains to get higher to, Je- to get closer to Jesus." Well, He lives in my heart. I don't know that He can get much closer. So again, be very careful when people are always leading to signs. Keep reading, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, this is very interesting because in my lifetime, that's all I've seen. I mean, throughout my life, I've always heard of wars and rumors of wars. Understand this, right now in the society we live in, 50% of scientific research goes to produce arms. 50% of it. So you begin to see, man, this is huge right here, what's going on. He goes on to say, all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. There will be an end, but it's not yet. Verse uh, 7, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Border skirmishes, race wars, national battles that will be part of ethnics. And political. We're seeing this. We see this before our eyes. Same verse. And there will be famines, people starving to death, pestilence which is associated with diseases, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. So what happens in our life? We see these things take place. And and we're like right here on the map. And the closer we get to Jesus' coming the more frequent that these things will begin to occur. It'll be going to happen more and more, and they will become more intense. So you'll hear stuff like this. I've never seen a typhoon that strong. I've never heard of this. I've never heard. This is what's going on. Literally, I believe in our lifetime, we we are seeing an end time prophecy of Matthew 24 taking place right now. Verse number nine. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. There will be an increase in persecution. Now, in America, we don't see that much of this. I don't know that I know of anyone in America that's ever been killed for being a Christian. On our soil. Now, we are beginning to see more and more as far as the persecution. They don't want you praying in the name of Jesus. They don't want you speaking in the name of Jesus. But let me give you a a fact that may shock you this morning. Right now in our world, every day, 400 people are killed or martyred for the name of Jesus. Right now in our world, this is what every day, 400. So I think about that and I think, what if people in America started being killed or martyred for the name of Jesus? You know what I personally believe? you would see a massive desert, a desertion from the church. Many Christians would say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love him enough for that. What about you? What about me? Because it's very interesting here, he gives these strong warnings of what will begin to take place, these political events. Keep reading. Then they will deliver you up to tribulations, kill you, and will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. There'll be incredible disloyalty and persecutions. And then many false prophets will rise up. In the message for false prophets, you know what it says? It says many lying preachers will rise up. You know why they're lying preachers? It's because they get away from this book. And he says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And so what you will begin to see happen, many, many, many will begin to say stuff like this. You can live however you want. You can live in sin. That's what grace is for. That's not what grace is for. Many will say stuff like this. You can do whatever you want. There is no hell. Everybody's going to heaven. And so when you look at what he says, there's going to be many that will begin to speak away from the things of God... And it's interesting that he says many will be deceived. So this tells me that there'll be ones who will have the ability to to draw large crowds. And just because there's large crowds doesn't mean it's right. That's why Jesus warns to this, stay with the word of God. God's word never changes. Keep reading. And because lawlessness or wickedness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end, now listen real close to the word endures, it means to hold one's ground in conflict, to bear up against adversity, to hold out under stress, stand firm, persevere, even under pressure, so he who endures to the end shall be saved. If you read between the lines there's you know what he's saying? Stay with it. Stick with it. Keep serving God. And in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as witness to all nations. Then the end will come. Now, this is Jesus' word. So we understand, just as the video of, uh, a minute ago, there's going to be a day where it's going to say, bitty, 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 that's all, folks. And it's going to be over. And so we've got to live by the warnings he gives us. Now, go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, and I want you to understand the things that Jesus just talked about. Those are not all doom and gloom, okay? It's not to put fear in there, but it is to give us a warning. And so I look at what he says there. Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, he says, listen, fellas, I don't know what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to serve God. And I believe that's huge for the society we live in. Again, I've got to look at my family. I've got to look at my loved ones and say, here's the deal. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to live for God to the best of our abilities. And if we stumble, we fumble, and we fall. Proverbs 24, 7 says, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he's going to get back up. Endurance. Run the race with endurance. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what this is talking about, I believe, in in two areas. Number one, this huge crowd of witnesses, these are the the veterans or the pioneers of faith. Men and women that have gone before. So literally, you could say it's the Moses', it's the Ruths. But I personally believe also, it's our family members and of our friends that died and went to heaven too. And you know what they're saying? They are cheering us on. Let's, listen to what the, uh, the message says. That they're veterans that are cheering us on. So they're telling you, go, go, run, run. Now, he shifts gears here just a little bit. Watch what takes place. Let us, me and you, lay aside every weight So he's giving us insight here. There are some things in our lives that could be weight that pulls us against the things of God. What could that be? I believe in the society we live in that if you have too many activities, you push the things of God out. How many of you have gotten so busy in life trying to make a living that you put God on hold or you don't even honor him in any ways? I've been there where I get so busy. So again, one of the weights that he deals with is activities. I believe also that when you run with stupid people, they're going to pull you away from God. The Proverbs are very clear. You run with the wise, you'll be wise. You run with the fool, you'll be a fool. If you've ever served God with a a, a full heart, you had to break up with foolish people. All over this room, there's ones that looked and said, I had to get that dude out of my life. I had to get her out of my life. Every time around him, I got in trouble. I believe these are weights. People can be a weight. But he gets into something deeper next and he says, and the sin, the new living says, especially the sin that ensnares, that clings, that entangles us. So another thing that'll get us off track is when we live in blatant sin. When you know for a fact, I'm in sin. I'm in sin. But what do I do about it? I repent and I ask God, God, forgive me, but also wash me, help me. So he says, in sin, it stares us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Let us run. Now, when he uses the word run there, I think it's very timely that we've been watching the Olympics. And when I watch those ones running 10,000 meters, I get tired just watching them. But when you look at them doing that, you realize that is a person that is extremely disciplined. And you know why I can say that? If they weren't extremely disciplined, everybody would be running 10,000 meters. But there are not many of us in here that want to do that. And so they're very disciplined. But when you watch the Olympics even, when you hear the announcer say they've got two laps to go or a lap to go, you know what they almost always say? Watch how the pace begins to pick up toward the end of the race. And I watched that little Ethiopian woman the other day. It was incredible. She had been 999 and 99 and 99 meters. And I'm thinking, her last quarter, after all that, she would have beat me if that was my first. Seriously, probably would have. So again, I think the Lord's saying to us, we're in a race. You're going to have to be disciplined. That doesn't mean perfect. And again, to many in this room, the Lord says, pick up the pace. Pick up the pace. Sometimes we get complacent. Sometimes we get lukewarm. Pick up the pace. Now watch what he goes on to say here. Looking, and that word looking is interesting It means to bring undivided attention, looking away from all distractions in order to gaze on one object. The Hebrew word means is having eyes for no one but Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the originator, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him, Jesus endured. What this tells me right here? Jesus ran the race. He ran the race to the finish line. He completed the race. And because of it, it says, the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, you know what this tells me? Because Jesus ran the race to its fullest, he was given the gold medal. He sits at the right hand on the throne of God. This is all real powerful to me right here. Now, When you look at all that was said in this passage here, the cloud of witnesses that are before us, and then he tells us to run the race. What happens to us when we fall, we stumble, we make a mistake? How do our loved ones that are in heaven, how do they view us? What do they think to see us stumble and fall here on earth? Can I tell you something? They all stumbled and fell too. Every one of them. But here's a big point. Their perspective in heaven now is totally changed. Their joy and their peace, it cannot be robbed. It cannot be stolen. And so literally, heaven is not dependent on earth. When the things that are evil and bad happen on this earth, it shakes the earth and it shakes the people. But God's throne is unshakable. It doesn't move heaven at all. It doesn't change anything there because, again, it's a perfect environment. And so think in this terms. God is not, or God is not a a patience and love. God is it. He's not about peace and patience. He doesn't have peace and patience. He is peace and patience. And so all those that are up there, their perspective has totally changed in this earth. And again... I don't dream that often, but I've seen people that I know, I know personally that I believe died and went to heaven, and I've seen them like this, every one of them, and their fist is always like this, and you know what they're saying? Run, run, get back up, cheering you on. And I thought about that in the Olympics, as many of those go to their last lap, what do the people do? They get up and start applauding them, cheering them on and saying, yes, that's what our loved ones are doing in heaven for us they're encouraging every one of us. So I can tell you today, run the race. Run the race. Now, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. Turn with me the book of Luke chapter 22. And the reason I want to do this, I want to have a little bit of fun here this morning. And I'm going to try to show you some things biblically here. I'm not just going to throw blank statements out here, but over the past 12, 13 weeks, I've had different questions that have come up before me, and some of them are very interesting. I mean, one asked me, Do you believe there'll be dogs in heaven? Well, I can't prove that biblically, okay? But I do know how God knows we get attached to our animals. So God's a good God. I, I don't I can't answer that, but I got a thought on it, okay? And again, I don't like to just give you my thoughts. I can say this. Thus saith pastor, I believe there'll be dogs in heaven, okay? Now, don't go to the bank on that, all right? Because that isn't the Bible, and that's how people get goofed up. That's why I want to clarify that, okay? Here's a couple other questions, and these are the ones I am going to answer today. I had people ask me stuff like this. Do you believe there's going to be appetites in heaven? Do you believe we're going to have an appetite in heaven? Do you believe there'll be marriage in heaven? Now, the scripture that I take a lot of this off is Revelations 19.9, it says, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper. One translation says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast. So I begin to look at this. He said, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper. So it tells me there's going to be some type of marriage in heaven. And when we think about supper, think in these lines. This is how we function in America. Breakfast is when? In the morning. When we want to say, hey, would you like to go to lunch with me? What time are we talking? Noon. And a lot of people in the evening, they talk about dinner. But it's interesting here. God's got to have some, he's got to have some texting in it. Because he said, we're going to have supper. We're going to eat supper in heaven. Now, when he talks about supper, what comes to your mind to me immediately was, there's got to be some type of appetite in there. So let's watch this. And I think this will help us and we'll have some fun with it. Matthew 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles were with him. Now, is it interesting here? The word sat down there in the Greek, it literally means he reclined. Jesus got a big lazy boy, I believe. I mean a big one. He's got his remote control up there. He watches all the reruns of what happened here on earth when the saints were marched in victory. So Okay, you're going to see how my mind works at time here today. Then he said to them, with fervent, with desire, with eager desire, with an expectation, with an excitement, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, as we read this whole passage, you will see here that the majority of this is talking about the communion elements. But what I got to realize right here, when Jesus said all this, he hadn't died yet. He hadn't gone to heaven. So Jesus was here still physically as a man. And if you study Jesus, actually, there's over a thousand references in the Bible of eating and drinking. How many times have you read about Jesus where he was always hungry? Hey, you guys got anything to eat? You got any fish? And so in this setting right here, he says, man, I can't wait to eat the Passover with you. Now, if you ever want to do something fun, study the Passover meal that the Jews have. It it is a feast. And so reading into this right here, it says that Jesus sat down with them. Think about what you do at Thanksgiving. And I love Thanksgiving around my house. You know why? Because family's going to be there. Friends are going to be there. We're going to sit and we're going to fellowship for hours. And we talk about the things of life, we talk about the good things, we talk about what we're going to do, and then you know what we do? We really eat. We eat all day. The Jewish Passover was, I don't know how many a course of a meal. It was massive. It would last up to three or four hours. They had the lamb, they had herbs, they had vet. It was a party. It was a feast. And so right here, Jesus begins to talk about this in this passage. Keep reading with me. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So now he's getting over on the communion and stuff. So, so my mind is, is really looking at that. And I'm saying, all right, Lord, you got to show me some things. Go with me to Psalm 78, Psalms chapter 78. And, and watch this in this passage here. And it began to answer some questions for me. And let me paraphrase here where we're at. The Israelites had come out of Egypt, and so God was taking care of them. Now, um, Psalm 78, verse 23. Yet he, God, had commanded the clouds above, and he opened the doors of heaven. Heaven's got some doors. Actually, the phrase, he opened the doors of heaven, that's that's only mentioned three times in the Bible. Genesis 7 with Noah and then again in Malachi 3 pertaining to tithes and offerings and right here. So he opens heaven and he rained down manna on them to eat. And he's given them of the bread, the grain of food of heaven. That passage there is reference in John six thirty-one, which says he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, all the stuff he fed, and where did it say it came from? Came from heaven. Keep reading. Men ate angels' food. <laughs> Some of you thought the angels' food your mama made—that was just a name. No, it literally came from heaven. So it's interesting here. He said, "Men ate angels' food." Keep reading. And he sent them food to the full, to the abundance, to the most they could eat. And he caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and his power, and he brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like the dust. See, God's a meat lover, I'm telling you. He likes it. That ought to bless all of us men. He rained meat on them. He, The feathered fowl, the quail like the sand of the sea. And he let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwelling. So they ate, and they were filled, for he gave them their own desires. So again, right here, you begin to see something takes place, there must be some type of appetite in heaven. Now, my personal thinking on this is many people, while they're here on earth, just think, if if you died of starvation, that means there's a certain type of food you never got to taste. And I believe when people get to heaven, just the goodness of God, he's going to say, you know, was there one thing on heaven you really, really wanted? And someone said, man, I, I always dreamed of one of those turkey legs at the fair. I don't know. It may happen. How about this? You won't have to order a skinny vanilla latte anymore. You can get the fat one. You want whipped cream? Yeah, give me all you got. You can't gain weight. I said this earlier in the service, and when me and Shelley were at, at Bible school, we didn't... We didn't have hardly any money. And I mean, we were just going to school and and I jokingly, but this is the truth. We lived on peanut butter and jelly, which I identify as choke and slide. We lived on those forever. It took me years where I could even eat them after that. But she worked at a mall and when I would go pick her up to get off work, there was a little side entrance to where she worked. And every time I'd walk in there, right across was an Orange Julius. How many remember Orange Julius? Oh my gosh, they were wonderful to me. They were expensive. And we didn't have the money to do that. And I would go by there, and I'd look at those, and I thought, Orange Julius or pay the bills? Well, we better pay the bills. So I never got an Orange Julius. And I believe this. When I get to heaven, the Lord's going to say, you always desired one of those. I want you to have to the full. I'm going to give you this big old bucket. You just put a straw in there and have at it, buddy. Have at it. And so again, again, you're seeing how my mind works. But when I read these things, God's a good God. He wants us to sit down and fellowship. He wants us to be right there where we can talk to each other. And it isn't just about the food, but again, what do most of us do things with or over? Over food, we go out and eat with people, and we sit there and we converse. Go with me to the book of Luke chapter 20. Luke 20, and as you're turning there, I'm going to give you another reference and a little study assignment if you want to go deeper than that. If you were to study the book of uh, Genesis chapter 18, three men showed up at Abraham's house. Man, he wanted to feed them. He went to kill the fatted calf. I don't know what all he was getting arranged for him, But when you study that passage, those three, they were angels. So again, it showed me those fellows had some type of appetite. So just a little fun, just to help you out. So the one who asked me the question, will there be food in heaven? There you go. Biblically, now watch this here where we go, because all this will begin to tie together. Luke chapter 20, begin with me in verse 27. Then some of the Sadducees who deny that there's erection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife and he dies without children, his brother take his wife and raise up offspring for this brother. Highlight the word offspring here, okay, because it plays a huge part in this. Now there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and died without children. The second took her wife and he died childless. Then the third took her in the, in the manner of the, in the seven also. And they left no children and they died. Brothers one through seven. Now I will tell you this personally. If I'm brother seven, there's no way I'm marrying that woman. It's out. If Bobby died and Billy died and Johnny died, something's wrong with that woman. I'm not marrying her. I mean, that's a fact. I'm out. Just a side note. Verse 34. And Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given marriage. The sons of this age. Where we live right now. Now, you know what Jesus just said? Jesus put his thumbprint on the marriage covenant. He said, while you're here on earth, marriage is good, 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 good. It's a good thing. One of the reasons it's a good thing is the only means of biblical reproduction come in a marriage covenant. It's a good thing. We're not done with that. We'll come back with that thought in a minute. Keep reading here. Verse 36. Verse 35. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age, heaven, and the resurrection from the dead, heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So really right there, he becomes very clear. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be married like we are here on earth. Now, I will tell you, you're going to be married, but not like here. So when I read that, I mean, to me, it kind of stings me a little bit. Like many of you in this room, I've been married right now for 35 years. I like my wife. We actually like each other. And I thought, man, Lord, I don't know about that. I, 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 want, I want to be around her in heaven and everything. And so there's some of us that when we read this, we think, that's, man, that's not a, a good thought. But others are used to say, man, heaven can't come too soon. Let's get out of here, man. I'm tired of that old rat. I tell you, you're going to have just a little fun. It's good to laugh in church. Verse 36, nor can they die anymore. So you're not going to be married the way you are on earth, and you're not going to die anymore, praise the Lord. For they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Now, can I tell you something? We're going to be married in heaven, but it's not going to look like on earth. Revelations 21.9 calls Jesus the lamb, but he said that God would bring the bride to the lamb. The bride is is the church. That's you and me. And so we are going to be married to Jesus. Now go with me to Matthew 22, and I want you to see some things. And as you're turning there, you know why the devil hates marriage right now on earth? Because it's a shadow of what's going to take place in heaven. The only way you get to heaven is through the Lord Jesus. So you know what that tells me? you got to be born again. The only way you can enter this earth legally is to be born of a mother. The only way you're going to in heaven is through the Lord Jesus. So literally, the shadow of the marriage here on earth is the exact same thing that will take place in heaven. And that's why the devil says, I hate it. I hate it. Now, watch how the food and the marriage come to pass in Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered, and he spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Father, the son, the Lord Jesus. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. He sent invitations, but none said, I am too busy. Too much life's going on. I don't have time for that. Verse three, and he sent out a servant to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, "Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready to the wedding." So guess what? There's going to be a wedding in heaven. And with that wedding, there's going to be a feast. You know what the message says there for the fatted calf? It says prime rib. That's what it literally says. And so when you look at that right there, this wedding celebration, this feast that's going to take place, it's going to be eternal. It's never going to stop. And there will be constant fellowship. See, heaven's going to be incredible. It's going to be a happy place. It's going to be a place of laughter, a place of peace. But again, you're going to be married. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit FaithChurchLubbock.com.